0: Okay, my second session is about handling change. This was something I think was on one of Shane's lists about things he wanted people to talk about. You see, when you are planning a church, you want things to change, okay? If you have your first service and there's five people, you want 10 people, you want 15 people, you want 20 people. You've got four non-Christians in the room, you want them to get saved. You've got 20 people, none on talking tongues, you want them to talk in tongues. You want things to change. You want this church to become a big established church. If you can take a church whether it's a new church or one you've been given or whatever and change it for the better, you're a leader. Handling change is really the test of leadership. This is, what, this is how you know who a leader is. A leader can change things. You can create momentum in the church, in people's lives. You help people develop their capacity. You help people change. That's the test of leader. Can you change the culture? That's the test of leadership. Leading people, especially a group of people, is not easy. People instinctively hate change. Okay? They do. They don't like it. There's this famous two-panel cartoon, you might have seen on Facebook. Who wants change? And they'll put their hands up. And then the second question is, who wants to change? And everyone's like this. We want all the benefits of change. We want the increase, the greater peace, the better life of changing, but we don't want the pain of making change. And so as a pastor, part of your job is to help people overcome that pain. Now doing something new is always awkward. When I first went to the gym, it was awkward. It was alien. My body didn't like moving those weights. It didn't like moving those weights. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to do. That's how most people feel walking into church. It's a big change. And then when they come once, they only think they come once. Making the change to come every week is a big change. Making the change, someone who's never given money to another person in their life, to take 10% of their income and give it to the Lord. That's a big change. To make a change to go to a small group and study the Bible with people they don't know. big cha- These are all massive big changes. Now, not every change makes your life better. But if you want your life to be better, you do have to change. You know, I've had to change my diet in the last two or three years. I've lost um, 40-something pounds, um, twenty something kilos since the lockdown ended in, in this country in April, and I'm getting there. But, you know, it wasn't just I want to go back to the old diet because it's yummier, but it was a change. I didn't want to change. And so it takes time to change. It takes time to get used to change. Most people, they might not say this out loud to you, but most people would rather have a problem that they're familiar with than a solution. That's new. That's how we are because the new, we don't know. It makes us uncomfortable. We're like Linus with his blanket, you know, from peanuts because that's part of me. It's my, that's how I do things It's it's my nature. And most people, when you say change, you have to realize this is a church planter. Someone's leading a growing church. When you say change, people hear the word loss. The first, first question that comes here, they won't say out loud because they're good Christians. But the first question that comes here when you say we're going to change this church is this well how's that going to affect me because they like your church they like it as it is that's why they come some people like your church being five people because then there's only five of them and it's nice for them they like the church being 20 people 30 people they don't want it to be a thousand people like you do and um they're anxious they're scared if the change might mean i lose something if i change jobs i might lose my financial stability i might lose this i might lose my house But you need to start looking about what you gain. You need to start teaching people. You see, if you, whatever church you go to, if you turned up this Sunday, okay, tomorrow, and there was 25 new people in your church, it would change. It would be a different church. You would lose the church you have right now. All relationships would change. Dynamics would change. The small groups would change. Everything would change. And one of the reasons why a lot of churches are not growing is people are comfortable where they are and don't want the church to change. They don't want the church to be different. So they hold on very tightly to what's now. And they miss their future. That's just human nature. That's how how people are. I'm just trying to work out where to go from here. And one of the reasons why people hate change, let's, let's go down this road. One of the reasons why people hate change is they're scared of peer pressure. They're scared of being ridiculous. Okay, They're scared of being ridiculed. This is a really powerful driving force with people. It really is. You know, when you're going to help people change, you've got to be very aware. People feel ridiculous when they're doing new things. They feel like people are going to tease them. They're going to ridicule them. They pray out loud for the first time. They think you're going to mock them. First time they tithe, they think you're going to laugh at them. So you need to deliberately create a culture of acceptance and a praise of progress to help people make changes. Because you've got to realize the universal human desire is to fit in. It's not to be different. It's not to be you know, laughed at. Again, talk about football, okay? So I don't want to trigger any English people in the room we talk about football and penalties because we just lost a big game on penalties a while back. Um, but the easiest way to score a penalty during a game of football, right, if you're doing a penalty, the easiest way to score is to kick it straight forward. The goalkeeper is probably going to dive to the left or to the right. If you kick it straight forward, you've got the highest probability. This is statistically proven time and time again. The the highest, most successful way to score a penalty in soccer, in football, is just to kick the ball straight forward in a straight line. And it works. But no player will ever, ever do that in an important game, ever. Because if they kick it straight forward and the keeper by chance does stand there and just catches it, they're going to look stupid. And that's more important to them than winning the game, not looking stupid. Even though these games can cost them hundreds of thousands of pounds, not looking stupid is more important than all that money, than all that prestige, than all of that. Their fear of looking ridiculous stops them from doing what's by far most likely to succeed. Some people are more easily embarrassed than others. And you have to take that into account when you try to introduce change. People take things personally when they shouldn't. You know, people feel lonely when things change. And the whole church is changing and my work's changing too. And the office is changing and they feel alone. It overwhelms them. You need to be kind with people and speak to them and help them. Change is not an event. It's a process. You want to change something, change anything else, change anything else, change something. You have to give people time to get over the change. So here's what you need to do. Think about this. If you're going to change something, right? We had 17 people in 2010 in my house coming to hear me preach. In my living room, 17 people were worshipping God together. But I didn't know how to lead change. I knew how to preach and teach the word. I didn't know how to pastor. I didn't know how to lead change. And so when we moved out of my living room into our first venue, Harmony House, we had 17. Only 11 came with us. We lost people who didn't like change because I didn't know how to handle change. We moved out Guildford Church three years later, 11 miles away. We moved 11 miles I spent six weeks teaching how to handle change. I spoke to the leaders. I made people feel at home. I did all the stuff I know how to do, and we lost nobody. So you decide what the change is going to be, okay? That's how you handle change, right? We used to have worship. with just two worships. Now we're going to have five, okay? We used to just preach for 20 minutes. Now I'm going to preach for 30. We used to meet in this building. Now we're going to meet in this building, okay? Decide what the change is going to be. Tell people what the steps are, or you decide the steps, okay? How are we going to get from here to there? Every change needs new priorities. And then, this is really important, you tell the most important people first, okay? Rick Warren says this, the greatest enemy of tomorrow's success is today's success. Okay, think about that. The greatest enemy of tomorrow's success is today's success, okay? We must can't be complacent where we are. You have one great service. Well, I said one great not. No, no. I'm, I'm not just okay for change. I'm a champion of change. I want things to change. In Acts chapter six, they needed change because they had all these widows coming who were needing food and the feeding program needed to change. It wasn't good enough to what they had. It was good enough when they were small, but when they're growing, it's not good enough. And if you're a leader, you should be looking at these things. Okay. You know, one of the reasons why I get numbers every week from our, our churches, every week they have to tell me how many people came. It's not so I can go, yay, we have this many people. I'm the best. That's my ego massage. No, it's not that at all. It's that I know how many people fit in that hotel and I know how many people fit in that community hall and I know how many people you can fit comfortably in that room and I know how many people you can comfortably have. I know how many children are going to come so I know how many children's workers we need. I know how many people have children's checks so they can do children's ministry. And so I'm thinking, right, that building is going to be too cramped now, okay? I need to start looking for another building. I need to make changes. So my metrics are really to help me do change. How we get involved with change. If you've done something for a year and it hasn't changed, be very careful. If you've done it for two years, be very suspicious. And if you've done it for three years, you haven't changed anything, make a change. So develop a culture of change. And then what are the steps? And, and don't just change cosmetic things, change real things. You know, we could change what door? We go into the church and it's got two doors in the cinema. So we're going to come in this door not go in that door. That's just a cosmetic change. We could change the color of our PowerPoint presentations. (laughs) But none of those are crucial changes. What's actually going to help us do things better? What's going to help us make things better? And then this is one of the skills I had to learn. I learned it the hard way. Don't tell everybody everything at once. Tell the key people. So we now have levels. I tell all the pastors, I tell all the pastors and elders. Okay. And then tell all the pastors and elders and deacons. And so we're working that out. Who are the key people in any change? Number one, who do I need to support me? And number two, who's going to fly the plane? Okay. So, for example, Chris and Vaughn, who lead worship at Tree of Life, they have to know about most events before anyone else does. Because they're going to have to put time in their diary. They're going to have to come down from Ipswich. They're going to have to lead worship. So if I don't tell them first, I can't have the event. They fly the event. They make the event happen. So when you understand who, whose support do I need and who's going to fly the plane, then you know who to ask, who you're going to tell first. And if I tell those people and they don't get any buy-in, they're not interested in the plan, maybe that plan's not going to work. As your church starts to grow, you're going to realize you know, I need every pastor, everyone in my local church is happy and willing to share the party line before I can tell the issue, because what do I want? You know, if I tell everybody at once, then somebody comes to one of my pastors and goes, ah, that's a bad idea, pastors, God, I haven't already talked it through with the pastors and got, it on, got them on board, they're not going to know how to respond. Uh, John Maxwell's book, another book for you, 25 Ways to Win People by John Maxwell. One of his 25 Ways to Win People is tell them a secret, because when you give someone advanced information, it makes them feel valued. So when I tell my pastors and leaders this is what's going to happen next year and no one else knows, they feel valuable, it's important to them. But also, I know they're the key people, they need to be on board. And if I suddenly hear, well, they're not all on board, maybe I need to change my plans, maybe I need to pray a bit more, maybe I need to be better explaining the benefits of this thing. You know, only you can tell what you need in your situation. And then you need to allow people time to accept that you're going to change. Because what I've found is there's three responses to change when I change something at Tree of Life. The first response is, Pastor. That's never going to work. The second response is, Pastor, that's going to cost too much money. And then the third response is, well, I've always been behind this idea. I always thought it was awesome. Well done. You know, and you need to love those ones. You need to love them, not shake the dust off the feet and not get annoyed with them. They claim you always supported. You know, fine, well, they didn't, but bless them, they're supporting you now. Just, Just suck it up and enjoy that. You have to allow people a chance to accept change because if we don't change, we stagnate. and If we stagnate, we die. And it's better to change things before they're totally broken and totally useless. Talking to someone who's only changed car this week because our oh, other car was totally broken. We, we, we waited too long. That's part of the challenge to leadership is making sure you change before something dies but making sure at the same time you let people process the change. What if change is coming too well? Well, you can slow it down a bit if you want. You can speed it up a bit if you want. Communicate clearly. communicate clearly write the vision and make it plain your vision to people well, why are we changing this because we can serve more people because we can love more people because if we do this we can bless more people you know if you ask a question th- think about the question you might get asked and, and you give an answer and then you think i don't even understand my own answer then no one else can understand it you've got to think about how to say things the way people get and they understand what's important if your message cannot survive being passed on through someone else it's too complicated in other words, can I tell this person and then this person tells that person? And if that person tells that person, if it gets any more complicated than that, right? So if i want to change something in the whole network, how we do things in the whole network, I'm going to have to tell Richard and Richard's going to have to tell Guilford and Richard's going to have to tell Dawson. So if I can't tell Richard so simply that he can remember it, process it and get it to Guilford and Dawson, I'm not making any aspersation on Richard. He's wonderful. But if he can't then take that and process it and pass it on, my message is too complicated. I've got to break it down you know, and so how effective is your change? It's This is how effective it is a formula, right? It's the wonderfulness of the change, multiplied by how well it's accepted. If it's not accepted, it doesn't matter how amazing the change is, it's rubbish, because no one accepts it, no one's going to do it. So when people start getting excited about the change, then you head into action. Now, in your church, okay, according to the Pareto principle, everyone understand the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, in your church, 20% of people are against everything. It not matter what you say, they're against it. You could say, right? We're going to change the church. We're going to give away free ice cream after church every Sunday. We're going to give away free ice cream, the best ice cream in all of the country. Uh, Gluten free. And, 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 and now, where's the money going with The free ice cream. And I want sprinkles. Why don't we do sprinkles? And well, what about frozen yogurt? Do we get frozen yogurt? And they're just against everything, right? Well, no matter what the changes, twenty percent of your people in your church are going to be against that change just because you can't wait for everyone to be on board. But if you've got enough people on board, your influencers on board, then start changing. You see, people think, again, if you start a church, well, I'll just outline my vision and everyone will be united. Vision doesn't unite people. Vision divides people. You create a cat When you cast a vision, well, I want that vision and I don't. You've divided the people. Casting vision actually lets you know who's really with you. Find the people who are moving, get helping them, get with them. And other people, you know, they might take a bit of time whatever and there's going to be problems so get ready for problems and, and don't take it personally never take it personally oh why don't they just see what i see they can't see what you see that's why you're passionate in the church and they're not that's why god called you to plant a church you didn't call them love them bless them well why can't we just go why can't they just trust me because they can't it's not personal it's just them leading change is hard enough leading the church is hard enough without you feeling personally betrayed and insulted by people They're just people deal with the problem not the person and the last thing I'll say to you, because I, I want to give time to questions and time to change, be able to do this sort of um, more interactive kind of things. So I think that's good. You know, is this always be someone who's an encourager and point to success. When change works, point to the benefits. Remember when we did this? Remember when we did this? Remember when we moved to this building and it worked out? Remember when we changed the way we did this? and It was good. Remind people all the time. People are anxious. They're scared. They're nervous, especially in the last year. So we need to be the Yeah, we're going to change the way we do things. Yeah, look, right? When our church was 30 people, you could come and talk to me before the service, okay? About stuff that's going on. But now our church is 150 people. There's a lot more people. Come and talk to me after the service. Let, let me just have a bit of time to preach and to make sure everything's fine with everyone else. There's a few, lot more moving parts just to come talk. That's a change. That's going to upset somebody. I pass this now Totally unaccessible. I'm not totally inaccessible. I'm totally unaccessible for an hour before the service on a Sunday. Well, that's just whatever it is. You say, well, actually, don't you think the sermons have got better recently? Well, yeah, actually, you're preaching. Yeah, because... I'm focusing on that. And the sermon's helping you. And it's helping the person next to you. That person got healed. That person, point to the success. You know, again, football someone kicks the ball and then they score a goal. What do they do? Immediately point to the person who passed to them. You're the success. You passed it. You know, as you're the leader, you're the one who's going to score the goals. People are going to go, you're, the, you're amazing. Point to the people who passed to you. Exalt them. Honor them. Bless them. And you'll see your people accept change a lot more. It will work, honestly. You know, and that's really, really important. Let me give you one last point. And that's when you are changing stuff. Plan ahead, but review it as you go. Be willing to change. Be willing to change the way you change. The goal is this that you move forward. The goal is not we have a stress free church where everyone's happy. As the number of disciples multiplied, there arose a murmuring. People think a growing church, the happy church, it's not. A growing church, the murmuring church, according to the Bible. A stagnant church is a happy church because you come into church, you can sit in the same seat, you can park in the same space, all the same. But it starts growing and starts reaching out to people and you start doing your dream center stuff and all this and all that, you come to church there's some drug addict sitting on your seat and you want to tell them to move, but you're scared of them. Now churches church, you don't like church anymore. The goal is to move forward and you need to keep reviewing, keep leading, keep pointing to the benefits, keep pointing to the good things. Winston Churchill said this, If you see somebody doing something with excellence, then you've seen someone who's changed again and again and again and again. I want all of us to be excellent church planters. So be willing to change, change this, change that, change this, change that. Keep talking about change. Keep reviewing the change. Build your vision around what you're called to do. But then make sure you change the way you present it. Not change the vision. God's on your heart. He wants on your heart. You can change how you present it. You can change when you present it. You can change who you present it to. To bring everybody with. Because the goal is not to get there first. The goal is to bring as many people with as possible. And again, it comes back to what we're talking about the whole time, isn't it? Making
1: disciples. Hope that helps. Thank you. Shane, cheers. That was really, really helpful. Thank you, Ben. Even for me, I was really refreshed in the practical Uh, wisdom that you that you shared there and I know it would have been a blessing to everyone that was listening so I just uh, posted uh, the tree of life website tree.church encourage you guys to go and check out uh, Ben and Amanda's ministry tree of life family of churches and uh, you can find out more about them and following them Ben's on uh, uh, television and ministering on radio and really uh, one thing i admire about him is his um uh, uh what is it your, your 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 vigor you just go for it and um uh it's 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 like the energizer bunny but uh, spirit powered amen <laughs> and um and so anyway we, we want to give an opportunity for some questions so please um uh interact now and feel free to to post some questions um so use the q a button uh, or send a question to directly to hosts or panelists and uh we'll get to the questions now in a bit amen amanda ben never gives up i agree i when I've, i've i've started doing a lot of driving this year Every time I drive, I'm thinking of Ben, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I, I'm not, I've never complained, but I'm like, I know I can do this. <laughs> you probably have further
0: to go in South Africa than you do in a tiny little island here.
1: Yeah, we don't live on an island here. But <laughs> even when we were on Long Island in New York, we would drive far and uh, uh, it was always uh, fun. But, but I reflect on, on, on you going all over the place and yeah, your traffic and all of that. But anyway, here's a question for us. What's the most difficult thing about planting in your culture?
0: Well, the defining what our culture <laughs> is, is is an interesting one. I mean, we have forty nationalities at Tree of Life. London is one of London is the most multi-ethnic city in the world.
1: Mm.
0: There, there's more. Um, there's more nationalities with more than ten thousand people and hundred thousand people in London than any other city anywhere in the world. Mm. And so, I mean, you can walk five miles down the road here, here, 15, 20 different languages, just walking down the road. Mm. And so we're actually combining many different cultures. Mm -hmm. And so it's been hard to get that alongside people and work with people like that. So um, what I do is I always tell people, I know something about your culture. I know two things about your culture. Let me tell you the two things about your culture. One, there's some great things in your culture. And two, there's some terrible things. I said, mm. we want to take the terrible things and redeem them and focus on the kingdom, take the great things, celebrate them and focus on the kingdom. Everything has to be about the kingdom. Now, if you mean reach my cultures in reach, you know, your white British, I mean, Dagnum is, is famous uh, across the UK, maybe further afield, uh, your white van man, your Essex boy, your Essex girl. Mm. Um, it's a very distinct culture. And, uh, you know, I, I want to do everything I can to reach them. Um, mm. One of the things I've done, um just this little things i mean a lot of these things are very small and you might not notice them because and then people get upset because i mean for example i've just paid for two billboards uh today to go up and people get upset we we put happy christmas on a billboard and i had one of the other pastors in town phone me up and say i don't think you should have a billboard that's carnal it's carnal advertising i said it is carnal because i want to reach carnal people and so Paul said, I make myself to all things to all men. So, for example, right now, I'm not wearing a tie. I mean, Shane changed my jumper. It's winter there in South Africa. But you, you won't see me turn up at church in a suit and tie. i wear jeans. or wear a shirt. Because I don't want the guy who works at the Ford factory in our town to walk into the church and think, oh, the manager's here. <laughs> you know? That's what he's in a suit. That's the management. I don't want him to think the management's here. And none of those managers live in Dagenham anyway. This is not the time the managers live in. Um, So I want to be able to reach those people. So that's just something as simple as that. And you know, but then we have people from West Africa come to our church, and they 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 can't process a pastor that doesn't have a suit. Mm. Then you have to sit down with them and say, well, look, this is why I'm doing this.
1: Mm.
0: Because church is not just about your culture. It's actually wider than that and you have to try and explain that to people and get that through to people. And so it, it, it is, it's, it's amazing,
1: mm.
0: you know? And so th- th- there's a balance. And, and again, it's like, like Shane said of the other questions, it's not a question you can answer in three minutes, mm. but there's a balance, you know, you, you, you could go hundred percent, seeker sensitive, turn on the radio and say, right, what's the most listened to radio station in my town and make sure your worship sounds just like that. that that's advice in some church planting books. But I don't want to sound just like the radio. I want to sound different.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I want to have people come to the church and encounter heaven. So in a sense, what I'm trying to do is build a whole new culture. Mm. So there are certain small things I will do just to make people carnally feel welcome when they come in. You know, you come to a church, there's banners, there's ushers. There's, there's, I want to do everything I can to make you feel as welcome as possible. But when you're in that service, we're going to worship because we're disciples. We're going to hear the word like disciples. And if there's if half the word's inaccessible to you, well, hopefully my passion and love for Jesus is accessible. Amen. You, can, you know, so to me, it, it's not so much about mm. how do we transform the culture, as to how do we reach people and save people and make disciples out of people, and and how do I build a culture in my church mm. that is a culture of lifelong <clears> learners that's full of the Word that honors God that um, speaks the truth in love that does all those things that that to me is the important side of that mm. equation. I hope that helps.